this evening. I want to actually have a good bit of territory to cover. So uh, you can look at the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you'd watch the screen here. And uh, tonight, I want to build our appreciation for the scriptures. I want to be known as a pastor when I leave this planet one day, when I get my turn, like Arthur did. Everybody's going to get their turn. I'll take my turn if Jesus tarries, and that'll be all right. Because to be absent from the body, will be present with the Lord. And that's a great thing. But I want to be known as a pastor that continually cries out for us to go toward the Word of God. If you are around the church very long, you're going to know we, we take seriously the Word of God. So tonight it's going to be all about developing appreciation for the Word of God, loving the Word of God. There is no strong Christian without being strong in the Word of God. There is no strong church without being strong and serious about the Word of God. And let me tell you what I know about the church and about Christian people. There's many people that don't love the Word of God, but they like the personality of the preacher. Or they like the style of his ministry. But when it comes down to it, they don't love the Word of God for the Word of God's sake. I want you to love the Word of God. I want you to love a personality. I don't want you to love a style. I want you to love the Lord and His Word. And so tonight, I've just titled this teaching, Our Daily Bread. Our daily bread. We need daily bread. Now, from the moment, I, the moment the Lord saved me, the moment the Lord found me, the moment the Lord quickened my heart and converted my soul, there was an immediate love for the Word of God. It was noticeable to my family. My family was not saved. Extended, yes, but not immediate family. And there was just a change that took place in my life. Isn't that, a, isn't that a great song? Oh, what a change there has been since Jesus came into my life, into my heart. And there was a change, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus changes people. And immediately I fell in love with the Word. The Holy Spirit put that love for the Word of God in my heart. And I want you to have that love for the Word of God. Today I've had a word wash. You say, well, what's a word wash? A word wash is when you just spend time in the Word of God. I, today I've read the book of Esther, read the book of Nehemiah, read half of Job, part of Luke, and about half of Acts. Probably 40, 50, 60 chapters. Just meditating in the Word of God. And as you spend time in the Word of God, what happens is it builds a framework in your life. It builds something strong, a strong framework of belief in the Word of God. And I can I can, I've read different translations, and I may talk a little bit about that tonight. You need to have more than one translation because there's no perfect translation. I know that, I know that probably up, maybe upset some of you because you think you have the perfect translation. You don't. There's no perfect translation. The Word of God in its original, when it was given to the apostles, perfect. But we've had men translated, and we have perfect truth, of course, but the translations are not perfect. The truth is perfect. And so I can, I can show you different places and di different... I found, in fact, I was reading through a translation today in Job, and I found a translation. I can't say it was wrong. I didn't like it because I've read the Word of God, and I know other parts. I thought, well, that doesn't jive with that. But I know, I know what they're trying to get at. But anyway, I, I want you to love the Word of God. So tonight, we've got a lot of territory to cover. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to skip down to verse 3, if we could there, brothers. Uh, this is what Deuteronomy 3, uh, uh, eight, uh, 8 and 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry. 
and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Notice this. Notice this. Look at the screen. He, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. What the word of God is, the word of God is, it's like food. It's like spiritual food that sustains us in the journey. You know, in this life we have physical food that sustains our bodies, but we need spiritual food to sustain our spiritual lives. You know, it's like the lady, uh, the general, the, the, someone that wrote in to, I think it was like Ann Landers, and said, you know, he said, I, I have uh, been in church most of my life, and, you know, the pastor spends so much of his time in, you know, during the week studying the scriptures and getting sermons ready. And he said, and the gentleman wrote and said, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if the pastor's time wouldn't be spent better doing something else because I've been in church for decades and I can't hardly remember very few of those sermons. And so then there was a flood of response and all this. And, but there was one perfect response. And the gentleman wrote in. And here's what he said. He said, you know, my wife and I have been married for decades. And she's cooked hundreds and maybe thousands of meals. And said, you know, I can hardly remember any of those meals. A few, yes, but without those meals, I would have died. And without the Word of God, we can't live. The Word of God feeds us. And I noticed that Jesus said that the Word was the source of His life. In His temptation... The scripture says that he was in the, being tempted by the enemy and turned these stones into bread. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 4. I'll read verse 3. And, he, and the tempter came to him and said, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, God's word, my Father's word, is the source of my life. What Jesus encouraged was that we labor for the right kind of food. There's people today laboring. They're laboring for an earthly life. They're laboring for earthly treasure. And then there's people that were truly ministered to by Jesus. And Jesus performed the most amazing miracles. Amazing miracles. No one performed the miracles that he did. He did miracles uh, out of compassion, of course. But he also did miracles to, to show his deity. Miracles that others wouldn't do that, that show that he is the unique, very son of the living God. And then as he did all those miracles, he wasn't just a miracle worker, though he was a miracle worker. He wanted to do something deeper in the people's lives. And so then he left and then they came to follow him. And they're looking for him and they're going on this side of the Sea of Galilee and they're getting in their boat and trying to find him. And finally they come to Capernaum and here's what they say. Verse 25 of that chapter, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, where did you, where did you, uh, when did you get here? Jesus answered said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Earthly, they, they just got a free meal. They enjoyed that. But they missed the deeper they miss the deeper message that here is the Son of God. Then he says, do not work for food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him the Father, or, uh, uh, for on Him the Father, God has set His seal. We need to labor for food that doesn't perish. And then Jesus said, "We need to, we need to hunger this way." John six thirty five. Jesus said, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes on me will never thirst." See, you eat physical bread. In this life, there's always a hollowness. There's always an emptiness with that. But Jesus said through his bread and through his life, he's going to meet the deepest needs of man. He's going to fulfill the deepest longings of a, person heart, a person's heart and life. All these people that are on drugs and they're running after this and that, really what they're longing for is that deep longing to be filled. And only the bread of life can feel that. Jesus said there's water that if you drink, you'll never thirst. He told the lady, he said, he answered her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. This water, the washing of the water by the word, this life that we experience through God and his word and through his son. And the truth is that the responsibility to continue to hunger and thirst and have an appetite for the Word of God falls on us. See, you don't need to allow anything to rob you of the hunger and the thirst that you have for God and His Word. There's a lot in the world, you know that, a lot in this world that'll, that'll squelch that, that'll quench that desire in your heart. You need to watch that. The first thing that happens when someone gets sick, they lose their appetite. When your children got sick, it's like, uh, they're not hungry. You know something's wrong. When God's people are not hungry and thirsty after him and his word, something is spiritually, there's a, there's a sickness, spiritual sickness that begins to start. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Isaiah the prophet, he calls the remnant of people that had drifted away from the Lord. And he calls and he says in Isaiah 55, 1, ho, he's calling them. He's saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. He's saying to God's, the prophet is crying out to God's people, Ho, hey, let me get your attention. There's something that's wonderful that God wants to offer you. He wants to feed you with abundance. He wants to satisfy you. He has something wonderful for you. And I want you to know God has something wonderful for us in his word. Wonderful. So feeding on God's word, feeding on the word of the Lord on, on a daily basis, that's so, that's so vital. Jesus said we need daily bread. Matthew 6, 11. He said this is a prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And of course that is a prayer that we can pray to meet our needs. But I think it also has to do with the daily bread of the word of the Lord. We need daily bread. We need the daily, the daily intake of the word of God. Every Christian needs that. God is, it's God's word is that which proceeds out of his mouth. Matthew 4, 4 again. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that, notice, proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, God wants to speak to us through his word. This word is proceeding out of his mouth. He's wanting to speak to us. He wants, there's, there's a word proceeds out of his mouth to us on a daily basis. And our job is to 
hear the word. And our job is to respond, not just hear, but to respond in obedience and do what we said here. I surrender all. Become more surrendered and more obedient to the word of God. This word is proceeding out. There's a word every day for the people of the Lord. So we ought to daily be gathering the word of God. And here's the thing. We, we have God's word with us. Now think about that. That's an amazing thing. The God of the universe, we have his words. 2 Peter 1.12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Now, you know this tonight. What I'm telling you tonight, you know, but you, you and I need to be reminded. You have been established in the truth which is present with you. Peter says, you've been established with the truth that is present with you. In this sanctuary tonight, the word of God is present with us. We have the supernatural word of God with us. I hold it in my hand. What do I have tonight? I have, according to Corinthians, I have the mind of Christ. We have God's mind. We have within the pages of the word of God, we have his will for the Christian and really for the whole world. We have prophecy about where the world's going, but we have the mind of Christ. How do I live? I have that. What, how am I to live in marriage? I have that. How are we to lead our children? I have that. How do we spend money? I have that. You have that. We have in our hands the present, the word of God is present with us. And we need to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The more you meditate in scripture, the Holy Spirit will renew your heart. He'll renew your mind. He'll transform your life. This word is a life-changing word. Many people are struggling in areas of their life because what you fill your life with is what's going to happen in your life. But if you'll fill your life with the Word of God, you will find incredible power to live for God. You'll find victory through the Word of God. So as we learn the Word of God, what happens is daily we're gaining spiritual understanding. Here's what Paul prayed. Look at the screen. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Here's an incredible prayer. For this reason also, since the day that we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that notice that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul is praying for an increase of the mind of Christ in our lives. He said, I want you to, to be filled, filled to overflowing. What? With spiritual wisdom. With the word of God is what he's praying for. I want you to increase in the very knowledge of God. So we need to daily be doing this. Now, what's our attitude towards scripture? What should our attitude? Well, first of all, we should understand the, the place and the power of the word of God in our lives. Now think about this. What's God's attitude toward his word? What's God's attitude and I don't have this in the thing there, but first, I'm sorry, Psalms 138, Psalm 138, and verse 2. Here's what the word of the Lord says. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Notice this, you have magnified your word according to all your name. So in other words, that means this. That just as God's name is magnified, God will keep his promises. God's character is involved here. In other words, it's saying what God said he will do. He is a faithful God. 
And God has put his name on his promises. And God has magnified his word, it says in some translations, above his very name. Hebrews says in 4 and 12, the word of God is alive. It's living. It's powerful. It's active. It's sharp. It goes down to the depths of a person's heart. It, it diagnoses. It cuts down into the very heart of a person. It's powerful. Isaiah 55, 11 says that when God sends his word out, it doesn't come back void. But when he sends it out, it goes out. It accomplishes what he sends it to do. The power of the word of God. Now, look at this verse. There's an eightfold ministry of the word of God. Let's talk about that. The eightfold ministry of the word of God. So that means this, that any time a sermon is preached, one or maybe several of these at a time, it's going to, this is the way the word of God is going to be applied. It be applied in different situations. It won't all be the same every time. But it, it, there are eight ministries of the word. Look at what 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Notice, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's powerful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So there's, eight, there's an eightfold ministry of the word of God. First of all, he mentions doctrine. Doctrine is what it means that there was in the New Testament a system of beliefs. There was a there was clearly outlined. They weren't just willy nilly, you know, just hey, whatever you believe, just as long as you're sincere type thing like we have. No, there was a codified system of beliefs. Now in our domination, we've designated them under sixteen fundamental truths. They're all fantastic, and we need that. We need sound doctrine. That word sound doctrine means doctrine that builds spiritual health. When there's strong doctrine in a church, there'll be people that are living godly, healthy lives. When it's just like eating junk food. You'll, you'll get anemic. You'll get sick. When there's junk food preached, watch the lifestyle always follows the teaching. Whatever, If it's healthy teaching, people will start living right. If it's unhealthy teaching, doctrine all, whatever the doctrine is, healthy or unhealthy, always follow, the lifestyle will always follow that. Always. You cannot live outside your doctrine. You cannot live outside your belief system. That's why the church needs to be about doctrine. We need to have good teaching classes. We need to, you know, I look forward to when we get back more into Sunday school on Sunday morning, when we get in our new building. Why? Because we need doctrine. And then there's reproof. What does reproof mean? That means to show disapproval. Well, there's some of these guys, the guy in Houston, the brother in Houston, he, he can't do that. I mean, he doesn't ever do that, the brother down there. But the Bible says that's part of a pastor's teaching ministry. There's times that we have to rep there has to be reproof. That means to show disapproval. And my question is, did Jesus do that? Well, of course he did. As you read the seven churches of Revelation, five of them received reproof. There's some things that Jesus showed disapproval over. And in love, he's saying, I want you to change these things. So there's, there's the, the reproving part. Then there is the correction. That means putting something right. That means showing how that if we're off the path, that we can get back on the path. Now, aren't you glad that if we do get off the path, the Word of God points us back to Jesus. 
It points us back to a relationship with Him. You know, it says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can get back. The prodigal son got back. We can get back. The Word of God shows us how to get back in relationship with God. That's correction. Then there's instruction. And what this is, is showing us not how to get off the path. It shows us how to, let's just stay on the path. Instruction says, this is the way. Walk in it. I don't want to have to come back. I just want to stay here. Come on. It's called abiding. Come on. Shout amen. We need to, we need to, thy word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. The word of God shows us how to be instructed how to truly live for God. You know, half of Romans is doctrinal. The other half is practical, or some, I mean, not half, but it's practical. It shows us how to live the life of holiness before God. And then there is convincing. He said, talked about convincing. What is that? That's having convictions in our lives. We, do you know we need some convictions? Listen to this right here. Paul, when Paul preached, how did he preach? 1 Thessalonians 1.5, listen to this. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power in, the, in power in the Holy Spirit. And he says, and with full conviction. That's what he says. In full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we, we prove to be among you for your sake. He said, when the word of God came to you, he said in, in, verse, in verse 5, it came with full conviction. That is describing the way Paul preached. Paul said, Paul preached so convincingly. He didn't preach and say, well, you know, I kind of think this, this may be right, but I could be wrong. No, he came in and said, Jesus is the only way. He, he brought conviction. He was convincing. We need to know. We need to know the word of God, that we have convictions. And the only way you have convictions is to, to find out what you believe, find out what the word of God says. So there's convincing. And then there is rebuking, similar to correction or reproof, but rebuking means to admonish or to reprove. When I was reading through Nehemiah today, in the fifth chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah does this. Nehemiah is so upset because here they are and they're trying to move the city forward. They're trying to build the walls. When we were in Jerusalem, we, the, we looked over in the a bridge and the guy said, that's the Nehemiah's wall right there. I thought, wow, that's it. Well, Nehemiah, they're there, and they're trying to move forward, and Sam and Tobiah are outside, and they're, it's hard, and what, then the, some of the Jewish men come to him and say, listen, we've had to sell our lands, we've had to do all of this because our own brothers are, are charging us uh, high interest and all this, and Nehemiah became so upset, he calls these guys face to face, and he rebukes them to their face, and he said, you know, he said, you need to give this money back, you need to stop charging them, and they said, okay, we'll do it. And then he said this, Lord, if they don't do it, may their whole house fall down. I mean, he, he was pretty serious about it. He was, what was he doing? He was rebuking. He was repu- reproving those men. He was, he was rebuking them for their error and for they were harming the, the work there. And then there is the seventh one, and that's exhortation. To, to exhort means to urge someone or to encourage someone. It's just like in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, Barnabas went there and he said he urged them to continue to serve the Lord. That's what exhortation is. And what the word of God does to us, the word of God is the greatest encourager we have. Did you know that? Romans 15, 4. 
Whatever's written in earlier times was written for our instruction, notice this, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture, notice that, the encouragement of the Scripture, we may have hope. The Word of God, I mean, listen, you have so many friends that will encourage you. You may be discouraged. Paul is your encourager. Nehemiah is your encourager. Even old Job's your encourager. You've got to go a while in Job before you get there, but it'll get there. God turns it around, right? Listen, the psalmist David is your encourager. You have all kind of patriarchs and friends that will encourage you. If you're discouraged, open the Word of God. Let Timothy encourage you. Let Hebrews encourage you. Let John the Revelator encourage you. You have a bunch of friends. And they've written to us in the Word of God. They will exhort you. They will encourage you. They will mold your life. And then, of course, the eighth-fold ministry, the eighth is the comfort. Comfort just means giving strength and giving hope. And that's what the Word of God does. It gives us hope. The eightfold ministry of the Word of God. So what should our attitude toward God's Word be? I'll go through these quickly. One is just, as I've already mentioned, hunger. We need to be hungry for the Word of God as newborn babes. Now, it didn't say babes. It said as newborn babes. There's some things that we should never grow out of. We, we'll grow out of immaturity, yes, but we should never grow out of that hunger and that thirst for the Word of God. I'm as hungry today as I was when I was 15 years old. I'm hungry for the Word of God today. I want to know the Word of God. If you hunger and thirst, you will be filled. As newborn babes, babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. And then have a teachable attitude. Have a teachable attitude. You say, Pastor, who do you listen to when you listen to sermons? Everyone. Everyone. Presbyterian guys? Sure. Absolutely. Baptist? Oh, yeah. Pentecostal guys? Maybe. Charismatic kooks? Nope. Not the cuckoos. Charismatic cuckoos? Nope. Don't listen to them. But I love to hear the word. Because I'm not in love with a personality. I'm not in love with a style. I'm not in love with a showman. I don't care who it is. If they will open the word of God, they will feed my soul. We need to be teachable. David, David talked about that. Teach me your word. You know, there's an art of listening to a sermon. We, our culture today is, is short-lived on that. But we need to get back. Jesus said, be careful not just what you hear. Be careful how you hear. There's too many bad listeners today. Too many people that don't have enough discipline to just pay attention for 30, 40 minutes to a sermon. And now, now pastors have bought into the culture and they're preaching shorter. And short. Well, this is the way the culture is. We're not supposed to be doing what the culture does. We need to be good listeners. We need to be able to sit and, and absorb and take notes and go back and tool through things. We need to have a teachable spirit. We need to have an attitude of humility about the Word of God. Listen to what Isaiah said. The great prophet Isaiah in 66 and 1 Isaiah 66, 1, he said this. He says, Thus says the Lord, the heaven is your throne, earth is your footstool. He says, Where then is the house you could build for me? Where's the place of my rest? Verse 2, For my hand has made these things, and thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to the one, notice this, but to the one I will look, to this one I will look, to him who is humble, and contrite of spirit, notice, who trembles at my word. 
who trembles at my word. Do we tremble at the word of God? I mean, when pastor opened the word of God tonight, did your heart automatically just kind of shift into reverence mode? That pastor's preaching the word of God. God said he comes to those who tremble at his word. There needs to be humility. And of course, there needs to be an attitude of obedience. That when we hear the word of God, how can I apply this? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there something I need to repent of? Is there something I need to act upon? Is there something I need to pray about? Is there something, you know, is there something? There's to be obedience. And then we need to learn to, to study the word the right way. One, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, rightly handling the word of truth. The way people handle the word of God today is abhorrent. What people do to the Word of God is just incredible. I mean, you've got to be really working at messing up the way they do it. It would do everyone good in this room and every church. It would do every Christian good if you would just read one book on hermeneutics. Just one book on how to rightly divide the Scriptures. So we need to learn how to rightly study the Word of God. We need to learn how to use good tools. Do you have a good concordance? A good Strong's concordance, been around forever. Do you have a book of word studies or some kind of computer program that help you understand the words? I mean, what does sanctification mean? What does what does holiness mean? What does you know what does the name Jesus mean? What does what do these words mean? Go a little deeper. What about different translations? You need more than one translation, unless you're fluent in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic, which most Christians are not, and most pastors are not. We're not, we're not uh, professors, but we're pastors. But we have to know the Word of God. I was reading today out of uh, an ESV, which is a wonderful, more of a new translation, wonderful translation. I love it. I think it's great. But I was reading in Job 2 and 10, and, it, and Job says this in the, in the ESV, which I didn't like, by the way. It said, uh, shall we accept good from the Lord? And the ESV says, and not evil. That's how it translated. Well, the King James says the same thing. You that are KJV people. Shall we accept good from the Lord, not evil? What does James say? James says that God can't be tempted with evil. So I thought, well, that, I don't like that translation. But I know what they mean. But the NASB says adversity. New King James, adversity. That's a better, that's a better translation. Because God can't do evil. God can't be tempted with evil. God never does evil. But there is adversity that he will allow in our lives. See what I'm saying? That's why you need more than one translation. You need several translations. And then, you know, the KJV, you know, they got the KJV group out there. And, um, well, I take them to Acts chapter 12, first few verses there. It translates this. After Easter, after Easter, that Herod was going to bring Peter out. It's not Easter. The Greek word's Pascha, which is Passover. After Passover, they translated, they translated it Easter. They put the wrong word in there. It's after Passover, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's no perfect translations. There's great translations. And I have several. I read, preach out of a different translation tonight because I'm bored with the other one. NASB, great, a wonderful translation. Wonderful translation. And 
you know, I get, you know, these trans- they update the translations and it upsets everybody. I get tickled at these guys. But anyway, you need, a, you need a dynamic equivalent, which is like an NIV. I've got my issues with NIV too. You know, you, you read in the NIV and they, they, they do interpretation. Most every translation will do a little bit of interpretation whether you know it or not. And most of the time they're right. Sometimes they're not. But I'd rather have a literal translation. Let me do the studying. I'll figure it out. Amen? Don't tell me what you think it says. Let me figure that out myself. But anyway, you need, you need some good tools to study. Here's another thing, another attitude we need. We need to battle the spirit of laziness. You know why some people don't study the Word of God? They're lazy. That's a little blunt, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, they're just lazy. It's hard. It's W-O-R-K to dig in and really dig in and learn what the Word of God says. So we need to overcome, we need to battle laziness, and we also need to overcome the natural weariness that comes with studying and reading. You that read a lot, you know, you can get reading fatigue sometimes. I go through seasons where I do a lot, a lot of reading, and I get overloaded, and then I'm kind of fatigued. I get kind of mental fatigue. And Ecclesiastes 12 and 12 talks about that, talks about that weariness. What you need is you need a designated place. You need a private place where you can get along with God, get along with His Word, and you need a set time where you can study the Word of God. Amen? These are just some attitudes that we need to the precious Word of God. Now, I want to close. I've got a lot left, but I'm going to do it quick. How's that? Deal? All right. Well, I want, I want, to, I want to show you, you know, Jesus connects the manna with the Word of God. Because in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Of course, that's a quotation out of Deuteronomy. And Jesus used Deuteronomy a lot. He must have really liked Deuteronomy because he quoted out of it a lot. But the Word of God is like manna. How is it like manna? Let me, let me give you these, and this will hopefully be on the screen. First of all, the, the manna, the bread, was from heaven. It said that in Psalms 78, Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened and the doors, the doors of heaven. It rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Where did it come from? Heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels and he sent them food in abundance. So you know what the word of God is? The word of God is not some natural book that someone came up with. I, I talked to many people in my life. Well, I don't believe the word of God's word of God. I believe Paul wrote that. Well, yeah, but he was just an instrument. Because 2 Peter 1.21 says, The Holy Spirit moved upon men. The Spirit of God inspired men to write the Word of God. Now, no one's getting inspired like that anymore. No, we, get, we, get in, we get inspiration, uh, or illumination rather, but there's no inspiration like Paul was inspired. And God gave him these words. And God gave Peter the words. And God gave John the word. And Levi the words. And John Mark the words. Or Peter the words. And so this book is what? This book is a heavenly gift. You know, you have on your, in your home, you have a heavenly gift. Came from heaven. It's God's word from heaven. It was also miracle bread. Exodus 16, 7 says, In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. You'll see the glory of the Lord. As you look at how and study how the word of God was put together, this is a miracle book. This, is, this, this book right here is a product of a miracle. No man could have produced this book right here. 
authors over about 1,500 years or so. Many of them didn't even know each other. And you read the, the unity of this book is amazing. If I gave us all a book report and said, come back in a week and wrote on one subject, we'd all be all over the page. 1,500 years, such a unity of this book. It's absolutely amazing. It's a product of a miracle and, and the glory of the Lord. You know what you read when you read the Word of God? You read the glory of the Lord. You read the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. You read the glorification on the cross, in the grave, out of the grave, resurrected. It's a miracle book. It's a miracle book. The manna came where the people were. It says, it said, I'll read the last part. It said, uh, and on the surface of the wilderness, there was fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. The Word of God came to where we are. Do you know the Word of God is accessible to us? We don't have to climb up to heaven. It came down to where we are. The Word of God is accessible. We don't have to go far to get it, especially in our modern day here. The Word of the Lord is accessible to us. It can meet our needs if you need milk for the babes, there's milk there. If you need meat for the adults, the meat is there. It's accessible to us. It came to where the people were. It was also small. Uh, it says that in Exodus 16, 14, on the surface of the wilderness, and was sm a small, round substance. So as you think about it, naturally speaking, the word of the Lord's a small thing. I mean, it's not as big as the, I, I have the Encyclopedia Britannica. In fact, I have the, I have the, the, the digital version and then, then a video thing that goes with it. It's pretty cool. It's huge. If we had it in book form, it, it's huge. This book is not that big. Naturally speaking, this book is small. And maybe to some, as they look at it and say, well, hey, there's other books that are bigger than that. But you know what it is to us? It's a treasure. It's a volume of treasure for you and I. It's small, but it's great. The manna was also white. It said in verse 31 of Exodus 16, it's like coriander seed, white, white. White in the scripture is symbol, symbolizes purity, righteousness, and holiness. This book will lead to a godly life. This book will lead to a justified life. This book will make a man holy. This book right here will make a man clean. First of all, makes him clean because it points him to the cross where the blood can be applied and he can be justified and clean before God. But then as we read it, the washing of the water of the word makes us clean. It gives us power to live a holy life and a clean life. Exodus 16, 15 says it was to be eaten. The latter part of that, it was bread which the Lord has given for you to eat. This book's not going to do anyone good. You know, you can get a nice Bible, a nice leather Bible, and you can put it on your shelf there and walk by and just admire it and say, man, that is so nice, that nice leather and that gold around there. Oh, isn't that wonderful? But it doesn't do any good unless you eat it. You have to eat it. You have to listen to it. You have to read it. You have to study it for it to be any good, for it to do you any good. Jeremiah 15, 16, look at the screen. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found, and I ate them as your words became to me a joy and a delight in, in my heart. You, for I have been called by your name, O Lord of hosts. He said, I ate them. They were a joy. They were a delight. And that's what they are. It was, now notice this, Exodus 16, 19, it was to, all to be eaten. Moses said, 
Let no one leave anything until the morning. Listen, we cannot pick the parts of the Word of God we like. Oh, I like those good positive parts. I don't like those parts that talk about responsibility or giving or godliness or servanthood or, you know, whatever, or suffering. I don't want all that. No, we have to eat all the Word of God. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. Amen? Amen. Let's preach the whole Word. And then Exodus, I'm sorry, Numbers 11.8 said it tasted like fresh oil. The latter part of verse 8, Numbers 11.8 says it, its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. So the Word of God works together with the Spirit of God. I tell you, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says that you have anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. It says we have an anointing that is our teacher. That anointing is the Holy Spirit who can teach you the Word of God. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of times I've just been reading the Word of God and it was like something was quickened in my heart. Even today as I read the Word, it's just like something just came. The Holy Spirit gave me the meaning and the interpretation. Fresh oil. It also, Exodus 16, 31, it tasted like honey. Uh, the, the earth 31 said, taste was like wafers and honey. What does Psalm 19, 10 say? And it says, more to be desired than fine gold, sweeter than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. How I many know the Word of God is sweet? Almost done. This, word, this manna kept Israel healthy throughout the 40 years wilderness. Nehemiah 9 and 20, 21 talks about it. You gave your spirit, good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they, they were not in want. Their clothing did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You know, the Word of God will keep us healthy. It'll keep us healthy in every way, really. It'll keep us healthy in spirit, certainly, in soul. It can keep us healthy in body. Do you know that Christians live better lives or more healthy? Do you realize they have proven statistically that people who attend church live longer and healthier lives? Just think about that. You're in a good place tonight. You're going to live a long time. Exodus 16.4 says that it had to be gathered daily. The people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Got to be gathered every day. Every day you need to get in the Word of God. And it's got to be gathered by labor. You can't, you can't just sit in your tent like an Israelite and say, you know, I, I don't, I'm tired. I don't want to go out there. No, the Bible says a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We got to be workmen. We got to get serious. We got to get tough. We got to get serious about digging in the Word of God. It takes work. And then you, get, you gather that manna by stooping down. And that means that we've got to humble ourselves. The Bible says, in humility receive the implanted word. See, when we humble ourselves, we're going to get more if we'll humble ourselves. The manna could not be stored for another day, Exodus 16, 20. Couldn't, couldn't be stored. We can't say, oh, well, I got a blessing in that revival. Oh, that was a great sermon last month. I'll come back next month. No, we need a, we need a word every day. We can't look at it. Well, I, God really spoke to me a month ago. What about tomorrow? What about letting God speak to you tomorrow? We need a fresh word from God every day as we meditate His word. Exodus 16.4 said that, it, that, that that manna and the way, the going out and getting it and gathering it daily, the Lord said this in 16.4 of Exodus, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. So the word of God is a test for us if we'll obey the Lord our God. And that manna was to be eaten throughout the entire 40-year journey. 
in the wilderness. When they got in the promised land, they didn't eat anymore. And throughout our whole journey, we need to eat the word of God. This word will get you to heaven. It'll get you to heaven. Close with this. The sad thing is that often the people of God, the Israelites, despised the manna. How could that happen? Well, it says it in Exodus. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again. Who will give us meat to eat, they said. We remember the fish which we used to eat uh, free in Egypt. And cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics. But now our appetite is gone. Notice, and there's nothing at all except this manna. There's nothing except this manna. Numbers 21, 5 and 6 uh, says down there, we loathe this miserable food. How could that be? Just really sad. Here's what happened. Those people got miracles every day. Do you know that miracles will never satisfy you? We're not called to live on miracles. We're called to live by every word that proceeds. I thank God for miracles. I believe in a God who does miracles. But I've watched those miracle chasers in Jesus' day, and they weren't satisfied. I look at the miracle chasers in this day, and their hearts just became dissatisfied with the Lord. But when we come to know him in his awesome and precious word, he just becomes sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. So my challenge to all of us is this. Tomorrow, go out and gather some daily bread. Find a quiet place early in the morning and just open the word of God and just read. Read Philippians or Ephesians. Meditate. Meet God in the pages of his word. Amen? Let's stand. Let me pray for you as, you, as I dismiss you and you go get your children. Thank you for being patient and being good. You are good listeners tonight. Why don't we just lift our hands and thank him for his miracle words. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for your precious word. It makes us wise unto salvation. Thank you, Lord. Help us to love your word. Help us to be diligent and work hard to study its meaning and to meditate, Lord, and to, and to stay there until we become proficient in the word of God, till we know all of the great doctrines that will make us strong and teach us about your great love and your mercy. Lord, I pray a blessing on every person under the sound of my voice that they will love your word. Like David said, Lord, I love your word more than thousands in gold and silver coins. Let our, Lord, it's my heart's desire tonight, as I said at the beginning, I want us to develop a deeper appreciation for your holy and your precious word. So Lord, tonight, as we leave this place in dismissal, Lord, I pray that you would go with us. Bring us back again Sunday to worship together as we bring honor to your name. Bless our outreach on Saturday to the first responders. And just give us special grace. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being attentive.
笑。